This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined in Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. How's it going for you today? Well, good. Had a really lovely day. The rain finally actually has stopped, unlike yesterday when I thought it had stopped, but it hadn't. It was just tripping, and um, all is well in the world. So is it mountain biking tonight? No, mountain biking got cancelled because um, we mountain bike our tracks are through a forest. The forest is about maybe 20 years old. And so whenever we have big winds like we've just had, trees get blown down and branches and stuff. So they need to clear the tracks. Now the rain stopped. Is that the mountain biking track that I went and talked to somebody on the farm next door to it? Yes, it's Bill Clark's mountain bike track. It's exactly the one. Oh, we should interview Bill for the show. You arrange that. I'll talk to him. Who are we Sweet. talking with today? Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce my friend and my colleague, Miss Tony Boynton. Tony is a mum, a community leader, deputy chair of the community board in Taniatua, um, which is the area where we went where you interviewed Toy Eti, so yep. uh, Taniatua. Um, she is an advocate, she's a change leader, uh, she's an activist, and she's recently been in the paper for her work with the Māori wards at a local body level. Um, she is um, helping um, other organisations all over the country as they're going through this process, and she is someone who I'm extremely proud of. Welcome, Tony. Welcome, Tony. How has your bubble life been? My bubble life, oh, it hasn't been too bad. Um, I think during <clears throat> um, during COVID. Um, I think the, the ability to spend time with family, particularly my older children, um, was really good. I think there was a lot of um, a lot of work on the ground from iwi and um, social and health organisations um, that really reached out to our kaumatua and also to our vulnerable families. Um, there was a whole lot of work that was that was done there. Massive amount of work. Um, the amount of effort that happened, particularly with the resources that were given to iwi organisations that were distributed. Um, you had volunteer groups, you had emergency defence groups who were also worked together on the ground to connect up with people, making sure people were checked in, making sure that elderly people um, were able to get their prescriptions. Um, there was there was a massive effort that went on the ground, and I, I was also too really grateful for the services the health teams here in Fakatani itself, and the health organisations, even with our local medical centre, with Total Health, where they ran a um, for a few weekends there, they ran a drive-through influenza injections. So they rang and contacted 
um, you know, everybody who was on their list, who were due for the, uh, who were eligible for the flu injection, for them to come through. Um, they made arrangements for asthma medication. Um, both my son and I are asthmatics, so we were able to get prescriptions for that, able to pick them up. So, you know, in terms of seeing how our communities work together, I thought I thought that we did extremely well. And there were a lot of Komatu in that who really just appreciated someone giving them a call once a week as well. Yeah. So I think I was I thought I thought we were re- I was really proud of our country in terms of our national effort, but also too what was happening on the ground. Yeah. Do you think it's a particularly strong community that pulled together at this time of need, and despite the fact that the usual ways of being community was what you couldn't do, you couldn't get together, but mm. it still brought out that collective ethos? Yeah, I think it really did. I think people became a bit more caring, a bit more considerate. Even even when we were looking at shopping and things like that, you sort of saw people who had high bids vests on and you, you knew that they were um, you know, care workers or they were people who were responsible for ensuring that someone else was getting their groceries or things like that. And you, you just had more of a caring notice of somebody, I suppose, um, to know that they were they were doing work for others. Um, yeah, I think people acknowledged each other more. Um, I, don't, I mean, I'm not sure what it was like in other communities, but I'm, I'm sure it would have been. Um, but as a whole, I think there's always a sense of community, whether it be online, whether it be on the phone, of how we can help each other. Um, but also at the same time, a need to be able to listen to authorities rather than just ignore them. <laughs> you know, whereas before you could complain about them, you could just, you know, oh, you know, stuff this. But at that time, it was really about making sure that we looked after each other. And part of that was sort of towing the line, I guess, and, and making sure that you did listen. And if you didn't need to go out, if you didn't need to, somebody else could volunteer to be able to do that part or get to those people, then rather than be the hero that you let that happen. Yeah. Compliance isn't quite the right word, but we did have a <laughs> remarkable acceptance of the, I suppose, the science and the authority, which hasn't been a thing around the world. In other places, there's been a lot stronger, I'm not going to listen to you. But in this mm. case, the the country did seem to say, actually, on this, we're going to listen. Yeah. I think so. I mean, you did later on, you had people who were, you know, when when people were home too long and on the internet too long, I think then you started having all these people receiving all these conspiracy sort of stories and everything about questioning. But yeah, um, at that time, I think everyone just trusted the science, as you said, and, and trusted what was happening to ensure we were safe and I mean we have to really you know look at ourselves if we get too far ahead and complaining right now because when we look at the rest of the world in comparison and into the work that we did do when we did listen um, you know we're so lucky you, you know we can go online and we can celebrate those who are attending concerts with thousands and thousands of people and or watching sports games or you know criticizing or the All Blacks at the last game or anything like that. And we can have that luxury. So we're just, we're just so lucky that we did listen. I suppose it's an important part of that sovereignty, that self-determination, is that it's not pig-headed. 
it is actually about thinking about the stuff that matters and and, and listening where it's appropriate. Yes, I think it, and then it's always looking at that long-term picture as well. You know, it's what we're able to do now to, to what we can see in our future. Um, and I, yeah, I think, I think when we, it's more than just ourselves right now, it's always looking at the wider picture and the benefits for everybody. So how did the homeschooling go? <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had I had one teen, teenager who diligently went online to all his classes and because he, he loves that. I had one teenager who told me, who promised me he didn't have any. Um, but I'm sure he did. Um, <laughs> and my and my two younger ones, I mean, when they got online, it was, it was okay. It's once they got online, they were all right. And I think I was really grateful to their teachers. I think there was a lot of stress because we're not, I'm not a teacher. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know what they're supposed to have learnt or, you know, that's where my older boys, the teenagers, they could have said anything and I went, oh, okay. Um, but you know, with the younger ones, it was um, I was glad that the teachers just looked at what activities that they could do at home more so than the whole lesson thing. When they first rolled out, they tried to do the lesson in the classroom thing, but they just they just couldn't hold their interest with them staring at the screen. So I was glad they just sort of changed to this is your activity for the day. Go and do it, you know. So I worked out. And I think there was a bit of anxiety about going back to school, um, about being behind with my older boy. I think there was just worry about his NCE and if he's going to be behind or how much to do to chat. So there was a bit of anxiety when they went back to school um, about how much they might have to catch up on. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Rainbow Catch the Rainbow. Why this one? Oh, this one was just a classic from being back at high school. It was just um, back then, it was sort of like the really the rock ballads. I think we used to listen to Black Sabbath. We'd have Rainbow because Richard Blackmore. We used to listen to these, you know, sort of 70s metal bands like Dio and. um, Judas, yeah, Judas had these old rock songs uh, as well as the Eagles and things like that. So it was just music back in those days. And because we had, we, 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 in Fakatani, you had um, two high schools. I went to Trident High School, and Trident High School would have all the students from Brantuki and um, Taniata and that. And so they were sort of seen as quite sort of rugged, bush sort of staunch <laughs> and they would have this music the sort of rock music that they would play and especially during lunch times back then you had big ghetto blasters <laughs> and they would blast this music and it would go echo across the field and they would have like um play league and things so you know we were young girls who used to you know go down the back of the field and do stuff and you'd have this music blaring across the across the fields and stuff when you're young like that and and um and that was sort of the music that was around and you know, I made in Black Sabbath and then you had the ballads like um Rainbow and Catch the Rainbow and so that was sort of our yeah background music back in those days and and for us for a lot of us our parents piped up on us so you know um sneaking out to go out to Rua or Ratoki was a big thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, where, where they would ride their horses to town for the disco, you know, they'd ride into town on, to the disco on their horses. And, um, you know, we'd all think they were pretty torch. <laughs> so I think that, that's one of those songs that just remind me of those times. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a classic within two way. I think there's the sort of melancholy tune of it as well. And, and, it, and it, it, it relates back to a lot of two who listen to the song. It always makes me think of our, our land and the mist and the mysteriousness of the song and, and, and the way that he sings and things like that. And, yeah. <laughs>
sneaking Tony back off to high school. <laughs> Did you work? So you're on the community board for Tania Tour? Is it for the Tania Tour town? Yeah, yeah, that's for the. Oh, so the Tania Tour, um, it's actually a, a, there's a whole area. So the Tania Tour community board covers Tania Tour, Waimana and Wainui, had a large area that, that rural area covers. Um, I think it was just named Tanya Community Board because it was shortened. Um, but I've, I've been on there. Um, I was fortunate enough to make it on there. Um, and I have to I have to um, be straight up that I, I have been away. So during COVID, I got unwell. Um, and so at that time too, the, uh, we had less meetings because of COVID. Um, because a lot of our members um, were older, so um, we didn't necessarily have the technical um, abilities all around to be able to have meetings online. Um, so we were down for quite a bit during COVID. And then when we did come back, I was unwell, so I um, had leave from, from the community board. Um, but I did recently, I have recently gone back onto board, um, and they have been working on... Um, a bit of community consultation and being able to gather information from the community about having input into the long-term plan, um, which was exciting. And it was work that we were doing before COVID struck. So we were having community meetings, um, which was good. And just to be able to get that feedback from the community themselves. Um, and and also to just a bit of public interaction, just listening to public really. And that was that was really good. We were really great. And then, yeah. Tuhoi is Tuhoi is pretty good at long term plans. I'm I'm totally fascinated by and totally in awe of the the, the living building and the whole the, the whole sort of deal around that is is yeah. it's it's not just a sort of a short term. Well, we need a building. Let's build the cheapest building we can do. Yeah, um, I think I think with Tuhoi, they're very deep thinkers, um, and and that whole part of um, thinking holistically and far into the future um, of what's sustainable. And, and I suppose for, at multiple levels, it's not just, um, it's not just in a time frame either. It's, it's, it's how it affects um, and reflect tūhoi and tūhoi tana in not only physically and our connection to the whenua, um, but also to spiritually as well. Um, it's a big part. Um, and culture and video and, and, and that's a long life journey for me as well um, especially being too hoy sometimes there's a expectation that you're totally fluent or that you're totally um, you know um, have a deep deep um, knowledge of, of all cultural Māori things um, but at the same time it's also what connection you have to your own Marae, what connection you have to your own hapu. Because within Tuhoi, you have different, um, what we call whārua or valleys. And in those different valleys, you will have different hapu and marae. And they all have a distinctive dialect uh, within Tuhoi. They all have their own distinctive way in which they speak and hold themselves. Um, and you have specific connections throughout those valleys of your tūpuna, of your landmark, um, that have a relationship and a connection to each other. Um, and we've had some very, we've been very fortunate to have some very uh, wonderful leaders over our time who have also made an impact 
um, nationally as well. Um, and those kind of teachings and that way of speaking and thinking is, is something that we hold high, really, you know, in high regard and that we value, um, um, particularly with those who have been brought up in the old ways, still hold on to that as a daily presence. Um, for some of us, it's some time to de-link, <laughs> de-link when we go home and de-link when we go back to our marae, when we go back to our hapu, when we listen to our people. We're very fortunate that we can sit in a room where it's all in video, um, and and it's that's just normal. Um, and just to listen to the way they speak, because in in that essence, there's part of the modi of of how you think, how you think enough to be able to, I suppose, have a concept like building, um, because it's it's a way of being uh, more so than just a a plan to be. <laughs> Does that make sense? That's a awesome statement. I love that. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou ko tāhuaho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universe. And I really hope that wherever you are, whatever's happening around this journey that we're all on together, is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you each day, who you are. A triumph of nature's art. Perfect, unique, and here making things better. Thank you. So here I am today, beloved, heart's home of mine, Otokanoi Eco Sanctuary, my favourite place in the world. And I've just ushered off 79 beautiful people from Oamaru Intermediate down the valley and I'm preparing the Farakura space for the Otago Regional Council to have their water forum tonight which is very exciting and so I've been vacuuming and moving all the traps and the stuffed stoats and the takahe costume and the kiwi costume, the clay and the seeds, the bird pictures, ID chart, all of the things that are so helpful for the education department in terms of bringing the wonder of where we live and where we love to life for all these beautiful people who visit us. And now I'm just having a wee break and talking to you for our five minutes together each day. So grateful for this time. I want to say a big mahi to Sam and all of the Blown Bubbles team for having me. Thank you. And here I am, I'm sitting on the balcony and there's a beautiful female sparrow who's come to join me and she's pecking at the wood. She's pecking in between the grooves of the wood. And, you know, it's so fascinating for me to live here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. We're so lucky to live in such a fascinating place and such a paradise. And, of course, this has been brought home for us over the last few months that we really are so fortunate across the whole world in terms of how we're cared for and what we have the opportunity to care for. And, of course, all life reminds us of who we are. All life is a reflection of us in different ways and vice versa. So it's wonderful for me, of course, to be here at Orokanui to hear all the birds singing. Some of them are native birds, particularly the Tui Balbunakaka I can hear right now. Some of them are introduced birds, like this little sparrow that's joining me on the balcony. And around me, an ocean of green. And some of these greens, the very vivid lime greens of introduced trees, some the, the darker browns of the pines and macrocarpa, and of course the rest, such a beautiful mixture of reds and these darker greens, these really stunning colours of our beautiful native trees. All these different textures, all these different leaf types. Really such biodiversity, we're so lucky. Really is so stunning. 
And in a few moments, when I finish talking to you, I will return to my act of reorganising the Farakuda for quite a different audience tonight. But I really hope that for you, as I am now, you're able throughout your day to take a few minutes to pause and reflect and gaze around you, each object, of course, that we see from the human world, telling such a rich story of our own co-evolution with life on Earth, our own creative abilities as a species, reminding us of who we are and what we can do. And, of course, each living thing reminding us of that bigger picture, that bigger community of which we are a part that wonderful infinite web of life. I had a lovely time with the students from Awamaru Intermediate today, of course, hearing about their lives and where they've come from. And, of course, all of us connecting the dots that we're all doing the same work, whether it's caring for introduced species or caring for native species. It's still these important acts of nurturance which we really excel at as a species. Also really enjoying the beautiful sun today, the gentle breeze, just these very simple, very joyful physical sensations reminding me of the beauty of the present moment. And a lovely male sparrow has joined this female sparrow now, maybe her true love sparrow. And they're both peeking at the wood of the deck now. So I hope that for you, whatever life forms are around you, you're feeling that sense of appreciation and connection with them. You're reveling in your own magnificence and taking the time to pause and reflect in the midst of your busy day. And I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Tony Boynton. So you've been working to get that kind of essence represented around the the council table, where I said that you're involved in the the Maori wards uh, campaign. Um, yes. And there's been good um, news on that? Yes, definitely with um, Nanaia. Um, so that's, that's, that's been great. Um, I think Māori wards is, is, really, uh, is really about uh, representation, uh, Māori representation at lo- in local government. Um, and it, was, it is part of adhering to the principles of the Treaty of Partnership and being able to have equal representation at that level, at that decision-making level. And just like how we have Māori seats in Parliament, it's similar to being able to have Māori seats in the local government. And sometimes it seems more, not saying more important, but um, at local government is really when the policies come into place that interpret the law, that Parliament, that enact what happens on the ground in our local townships and on our local land, on our local roads, and, and it's really important that we have a precedence when that policy has been inter- interpreted and developed and put out and decisions made on that at that level that Māori have an input and be at table when that's happening. Now, depending on how that works out for iwi, I can't, I can't say that I speak, you know, that, that comes down to a certain mandate at some level somehow. So for me, I can't say I speak on that. But what I can speak of as a constituent within the, within the, um, within the area and also too as someone who, who is Māori um, and who affiliates to my own hapū marae, I can speak from that sense in terms of what is um, uh, about Māori having a voice in local government. Um, but also to what 
what what's what what hasn't been able to happen because of that. We've had legislation introduced that allows that to happen. However, there's part of the legislation that actually blocks it from happening. And so far, we've had we've had at least three cycles of councils who have gone through over 78 councils, so this district and, and regional, um, in which they've had the ability to review and make a decision on whether or not a Māori ward is established. Um, I can't say how many have, but there's been a lot who have said yes, but those decisions have been overturned. And at present, we only have three out of the 78 who have managed to establish Māori ward. Um, and so this change of the um, legislation is, is overdue so that we can remove that block um, and so when councils do make decision you, you don't have the ability for somebody to overturn it because that cannot happen when any other war is so make the law as everyone else's and, um, and, and allow these wards to be established because it's for the better democracy um, nobody gets to double dip everybody has one vote um, at the end of the day so it's, it's not like Māori are getting two votes no double dipping or anything else that um, but also too with the Māori economy the way that it is with with a lot of our iwi settling um, and having a large economic base and economic growth um, and also too with um, with the goals of looking for better sustainability um, for the environment um, there's, there's just so many benefits to having Māori or that Māori world view sitting at the table and the problem is the that you can force a referendum with a, a, a small number of people putting in a petition? Yes. So um, the part of the legislation allows for petition. Only 5% of the um, 5% could ask for a raise a petition for a referendum. Now that's only 5% electors. So that's not 5% of the population. That's 5% of whoever, how many voted the last election. So if you only had 60% of those who are eligible to vote, vote vote in the last election, you only need 5%. Um, so it's not even a full 5% of, of the whole lot um, who could raise a petition to change that decision. And not only that, it costs, I think the last one that happened here in Whakatane cost $40,000. So it costs quite a bit of money. So depending on each district that... that um, when it raises a petition, some petitions or some referendums cost up to $120,000 to, to execute. Um, and a lot of the time, we find that the it becomes the, the tyranny of the majority where um, non-Māori make up the majority of voters. And so we have a situation where it is mainly non-Māori deciding whether or not Māori have... It's a weird, um, it's it's a weird thing, that, isn't it, that... Yeah. It, that it has gone some way to recognise that there is a problem of systemic privilege and the solution yeah. is unravelled by the problem of systemic privilege. Definitely, yes. <laughs> That's right. It is. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, you're right. It's it's there so that it ensures that Māori have representation because of that and yet they allow, they use that to take it away. So yeah, it's like, oh yes, you're allowed, but you can you're allowed to have a seat and like, oh no, you can't. It's a shame that the majority can't be convinced of the benefits to the council overall of having that diversity of voices. 
Because you'd think that would be a good thing. You would. And I think we did a lot of mahi because it wasn't just myself. There was a whole group of us. So there was a whole group of um, ladies, including Mawera and Lehi Burko and Dana Lee and Jackie Tukurupa. There was a whole lot of um, key people in the community who were behind um, pushing for Māori wards. Um, and also, too, um, there were key um, Pākehā community leaders as well who did see the benefits of it. Um, and and it was really about having fair representation and giving it a go. And um, the hard thing was trying not to make it about a race issue, which is what Hobson's Pledge did. So we had we had other people like Hobbs Pledge who ran a campaign um, who who made sure who promoted that it was only about race. You shouldn't have a privilege of having a seat because of your race. Um, whereas it was really about the seats being treaty based, and not necessarily race based, and it was about having a fair go and having having that voice at the table because for a long time we we could never see ourselves represented in that leadership. Um, and for a lot of us, it was about ensuring that our, our tamariki could see themselves in that leadership. Um, for a long time, Māori have disengaged participating um, in, or even voting in local elections because of past decisions that have happened, past hurts that have happened, um, particularly with land being taken or um, fines or... There's been a lot of bad history, I say, when it comes to local government um, for a lot of Māori communities. So there's big trust issues in terms of, of engaging in that sense. So, so when, when they say, oh, yes, you can have representation, and you think, yes, we're all up in arms, and then it gets started taken away from you, part of it is sort of like, yeah, see, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can't trust them, you know. And, you know, so there's that whole disengagement again um, of the whole process um, and, and that. But, you know, a lot of us just keep on going and, you know, we can see, see the benefits um, of being able to work together. And, and Māori wards isn't the only option either. I mean, different councils, different districts have looked at um, um, models of representation that's been developed between them and iwi and what iwi have decided how they want to have representation council and, and that's great um it isn't either or as well because we have different councils like um tauranga who also have standing committees in which money is represented but they also um are going for my awards as well um, so it really comes down to that local district in that area to determine how it is that they want to see Māori representation. However, that shouldn't stop the law being changed. The law does need to be changed to ensure that Māori options is an option that is viable and that can't be overturned. Um, and then it's up to those specific areas, if they support and make submissions to support Māori wards, that Māori wards be established. If they decide that they don't want Māori wards, then that should be up to them, but it should be still an option that they can use, and that is there. We're talking about past hurts, so let's use that to get to the Manhattans with hurt. Why this one? <laughs> oh, that reminds me of my mum and my aunties. They used to love the Manhattans when they used to have their um, when they used to have their parties when we were younger, and we used to see them get all done up and that and. And that was, um, yeah, this makes me think of my mum and, and all my aunties and their, their songs they used to have a party too. <laughs> 
some questions to end the show with what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years sure i just think of my boys i suppose i i'm just really proud of them i'm just really proud of what they're doing at school and and um uh, you know they're doing well sounds Um, like a success to me we're writing a book of these conversations it's called tomorrow's heroes it's our team of people doing good work. So you are in our team. What is the superpower that's got you into our mansion? Oh, my superpower. I just think of Marty Ward's superpower. <laughs> Maybe we should ask your boys what your superpower is. Oh, I don't know what they'd say, what, what my superpower is. They'd say complaining. <laughs> they, they, with my boys, they get really worried. If we go somewhere and... You know, if they get pulled up by somebody in the shop or something, then I'm just like, you know, why did you pull them over? You know, they get really worried because I question things. I and I don't like to see um, anything where they may be, I should, I should say, to say racially profiled or anything like that. So I stick up for them and 
and they they hate it. <laughs> they just go, no, mom. you know, they just want to go shopping. And I'm sort of like in there going, well, why did you, you know, I don't know if that's a good thing or if that's just been a Māori Karen, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yes, yes, I do. Um, yeah, yeah. So that would be it, <laughs> mum being an activist. There've been to enough boys, there've been to enough protests. <laughs> Bringing them up right then. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, my boys. What be my boys? Yeah, my boys and I suppose um, what the future is for them um, and, yeah, wanting to ensure that, that they have they have a better future in which they can see themselves um, reflected in a positive light. You know, so many times we get downed about there's so much negativity in the world when it comes to our Māori men, especially because I have balls. And so for me, it's ensuring that they have the kaha to know who they, where they come from so that when it comes to um, some of the, the forces of this world that can be against them, that they're strong enough to be able to handle that and that they're strong enough to be able to have a voice to up for themselves and to call out when something's wrong um, and that they have the strength in their heart to be good, kind people who look at others. You seriously so, are bringing them up right. It's, it's interesting. One of the things we've talked about quite a lot on the show is about being positive. It's not about being deluded. And and you've got that there. It is about being strong enough to know what to stand up for, but yeah. also being kind. It, it's, that seems like a, a really clever balance. Oh, definitely. You got Because really, at the end of the day, it is about looking deeply. And it is all like, always, at the end, it is about aroha, you know. Um, aro kiteha, which is, you know, the, the aro, the breath that comes from you is, you know, that's the essence of life, really. Um, and if you, if you, um, so, so many times in this world, you know, we have, you know, kindness and aroha and love and that is not God's being soft or anything else like that. But it's, it's actually the superpower, it's the strength at the end of the day that can bring somebody to be, um, to show humility. Um, to be able to change the course in which something in which somebody could strike you instead is to hand out um, and that's that's the difference that, that's, that's, that's the ability to set ego aside and, and to make it more about looking after each other uh, and that's the same with the environment it's the same thing it's having the relationship with the environment because it's about looking after each other if we look after our environment we look after each other if we look after our kids, if we look after our future, we're looking after each other. Um, so if they can, if my boys can manage to look after each other, then they're doing really good. <laughs> so what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? What challenge? Um, well, when we go down to Wellington, when this legislation's passed, after Nanaya changes it, that'll be awesome. <laughs> um, and um, when we deliver, when we help Action Station deliver their 10,000 signature petition to help change that, um, I think I think it would be just once that changed, it's just really seeing what the environment is like locally um, in terms of gearing up for Māori wards being established, even though we've got a few years, a few cycles to go. But just seeing what, um, just being really excited, I suppose the challenge is maintaining the momentum for Māori to be involved in politics at all different levels. So locally, but also participating in, in all sorts of 
um, yeah, that's that for me is the challenge, and the challenge for myself too, because because um, for me sometimes I find it really hard um, to be public <laughs> a lot, even though I really enjoy it. Um, it can be, it can take a lot of energy as well, and I think sometimes for myself personally, um, you've got to be able to have a thick skin and have a lot of kaha. Um, to be able to deal with with the flack that you get and and the perceptions that people have of you and the expectations that people may have and expectations of yourself and and the and the weight that can carry sometimes particularly if you represent your hapu if you represent your marae your fano and the actions or the things that you say can sometimes be quite quite maha. Uh, in terms of that, so there's a lot of you know my personal challenge for me is to to um, to be stronger um, when thinking of things like that in myself. Um, yeah, but wider wider it would be um, just really seeing the growth and developed in Māori participation in all sorts of politics. I mean, think I think Māori are political anyway. I mean, we can be political in our whānau. We can be political about the teaspoons missing in the Farikai in, in, in on the Marae. <laughs> um, you know, we are actively participating in politics all the time. It's just being able to bring that into a new arena um, where we participate um, in local government and in other local decision making. Yeah. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know if I have any advice. I mean, I just I just like to thank everybody really, um, and just show appreciation for all the listeners who are listening, uh, for everybody who has vacaros or thoughts about what we're talking about, and who can relate or have found some new information. Um, I'm just really grateful um, and feel privileged to be on the program and to have a talk. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Moira. Tony, there will come a time in the not too distant future when your when your children are all adults and they'll be going to vote and they will look and they will see Māori faces at that table and see themselves reflected and know that their mother is to thank for that. And you've done such wonderful work and there's so much more to do. And thank you for your commitment to our community. Kilda. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go out to the Eagles. Shall we go out to Hotel California?
serious prisoners here of our own device. And in the master's chambers, they gathered for the feast. They stab it with their steely knives, but they just can't kill the beast. Bubbles, positive conversations of people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Land in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and in Tania Tua, Tony Boynton. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.